Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Pre-Med Uncultured. So excited to have you all here listening again. We have a very special, exciting guest to start off the year 2023. We have Arizona Green joining us from, where are you joining us from today, Arizona? I'm in Colorado today. Oh my gosh, Colorado. Um, what, a, what a place to be. So Arizona, I'm going to give you an opportunity just to introduce yourself. Tell us, tell the viewers um, who you are, where you're from, and just a, just a quick synopsis about who is Arizona Green. I think, again, like I said, the pre-med community um, is excited to meet you. Sure. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, hi, my name is Arizona. I've, I'm born and raised in Georgia, and um, I lived there for 18 years before I went to school at Yale, so I moved up to Connecticut. And then um, I was originally at the class of 2018, spent a year in the middle um, traveling to China and then going back home to work as a waitress for a little bit. So I ended up graduating in 2019. Um, after that, I spent some time in the Hudson River Valley in New York doing a fellowship and then COVID hit and I was home for a little bit and exploring, you know, the pre-med path and ended up moving out to Colorado to do a pre-medical post program at CU Boulder. And so I finished up my program last spring. And since then, I've been working at the Center for Bioethics and Humanities at Anschutz, which is the School of Medicine in Denver. Um, it's the University of Colorado School of Medicine. And so, yeah, I've just been working doing that and applying to medical schools and in the middle of the application cycle. So trying to stay sane with climbing and hiking, and, you know, spending time with my dog, all those good things. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for that, Arizona. I, I'm so excited for um, our listeners, right? And Kate and I as well, just to be able to to engage and hear your story, right? I think that, again, our viewers understand that we, this year, right, we're really going to try to do this idea of less lecturing, more storytelling, right? And, and I think you have such an interesting story, and we're so excited just to explore that over these next few minutes, right? And so, so with, um, with, undergrad stuff so I'll sort of just start off with that idea of like so Yale undergrad how did you end up first of all how did you end up choosing Yale um what would what, you sort of major in there what did you explore there sure well I um in in high school I always thought I wanted to be an engineer I grew up doing robotics and loved STEM and so that was kind of the the channel that I like was funneled through when it came to STEM was that I wanted to do mechanical engineering. And so when I was applying to colleges, I was dead set on going to an engineering school. Like MIT was the dream, um, Caltech, like I knew that I wanted to be one of those places. But when I was applying to schools, um, I come from a low income family. And so I re received a bunch of fee waivers for applying to colleges. And my mom was like, you should just apply to a couple other non-engineering schools, like just just a few of them, like apply to Yale, apply to some other places. And I was like, mom, like, I'm not going to go there, but I'll apply. And so I did. And then when I ended up getting in, um, I was invited to go up to New Haven for an engineering and science like recruitment weekend. And when I was there, I realized how much I loved being at a place where, you know, there was really strong STEM and really strong engineering, but also everybody was studying all different things. I loved that when I was visiting, you know, when I was staying with my host, that they were in engineering, but their roommates were studying art and literature and political science. And I realized that that was something, being in that environment of really diverse interests was important to me. Um, and also Yale has a really strong emphasis on community and a lot of structures within the universities to support that. And so that was also something that felt really important to me was having the sense of like, um, 
diverse, open communities, which I feel like in other schools, a lot of times there's a lot more sequestering of people based on background. Um, and so, yeah, that, that was really appealing to me. So that's how I ended up at Yale. Very cool. I love that. Um, when you transitioned from like Georgia to Connecticut, I know you said there's a bunch of different people from a bunch of different places, but did you struggle at all with being homesick or like not knowing people and like, how was that transition just from, you know, high school to college, like, before we start talking about sciences? I'm a pretty outgoing person, I'd say. And I come from a pretty small town in Georgia. And I think in a lot of ways, I was ready to get out, quote unquote. Um, and so I was really excited to be in a new place and to be with people from all over the world, really. And so I don't think I was homesick in that sense. I think the thing I struggled a little bit more with was like imposter syndrome in my academic classes. Um, because I think that, I don't know, I felt like a lot of other people were way more well-prepared than I was, um, because of like their educational backgrounds and like, um, parents who'd gone to Ivy league schools and, and things like that. And so, yeah, I think I struggled a little socially and academically with that. Um, yeah, so it was a lot, it was a little less about missing home and a little more about not knowing, um, not feeling totally confident in myself in that space. Right. So with the statistics and data science major, um, how did you find that confidence that you needed, you know, to kind of push through? Because that's not only just intense, but like being a woman in STEM is very intense. You know, moving to Yale was very intense for you, I'm sure. How did you find this grounding feeling and kind of not that, you know, imposter syndrome is a bad thing always. It always pushes people. But how did you feel grounded over time? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And honestly, I kind of feel like I didn't feel totally confident or totally grounded until I did my post back this past year. Um, I think in undergrad, I knew I wanted to study STEM. I thought I wanted to do engineering, but I also knew that I had this draw to the humanities and had this desire to work with people. Um, I'm really interested in like spirituality and religious studies. And so I took some classes at the divinity school. So classes in philosophy, in addition to what I was studying. And so I kind of ended up in statistics and data science because I wanted to do STEM, but I wanted to do something that felt human. And statistics and data science allows you to work a lot in the social sciences. And so, for example, I did my senior thesis in undergrad on looking at levels of depression in South Africa using this like massive household data set um, that's kind of been run over the past 15 years in the country. And so I wanted to connect these ideas about like human suffering and these ex existential questions with my like analytical skills. And so I would say that's kind of how I ended up in stats and data science was that I wanted to be in that little overlap. And then confidence didn't really kick in until I got to my post back and I was feeling less exploratory and more goal driven um, on the goal of getting into medical school. And so that's where I feel like my academic confidence and focus really kicked in for me. Right. So you said you always wanted to be an engineer. Was this um, like the divinity classes and using data to connect it to human beings and all these numbers and putting it into how we can help people? Was that kind of the spark that pushed you towards medicine? Or was there something else, some other like true experience to you that, you know, made you go, okay, I need to be a doctor? Yeah, believe it or not, I I didn't consider medicine at all in undergrad, even when I was looking for this intersection. And I think there's a number of reasons for that. I think one, there's I don't have anyone in my family who's a physician or who's ever been a physician. And so that was, um, 
yeah, that was something that I think just, it never, it didn't occur to me for that reason. I never had a mentor who pushed me in that direction or suggested it to me. I also hadn't had any like significant medical events in my life or in the life of any of my family members. And that's something I think that oftentimes can bring people into medicine is having that firsthand experience. So I think for all of those things, plus I had a lot of friends in undergrad who were pre-med and I think I just didn't, I didn't see myself reflected in their journey in college because I felt that college for me was a lot about exploring. And it seemed like all of my friends who were pre-med came in already with a mission. They had ideas about what med schools they wanted to go to, even as like a freshman in college. And, um, you know, it, they seemed so driven in this one single direction. Um, and I didn't. Yeah, I guess that just wasn't me. That wasn't how I was approaching school. And so it never occurred to me that I might fit on that path because that path didn't look like mine. Yeah, that makes a total sense. I think that one of the big things we're trying to do with pre-med uncultured is reflect those stories and let people know that, you know, you're not alone if you don't feel like you fit in with all of these like pre-med cultures. And, you know, the path to medicine can be, you know, a zigzag, it can be a straight line. But, you know, we think that taking those little stops along the way, especially like you have and you're reflecting and telling us, um, is very important to being, you know, this full like well-rounded physician and member of your community that's not just you know has the answers to why your tummy aches but also can help like you said with these bigger existential reasons that are much more you know supplementary to health than you know we used to think in the past so going based off what you just said with you know your friends that were pre-med or you had you know roommates who were in art like what was your ivy league culture like like did you find solace in your classmates or was it like, okay, I really have to be on my own and be okay with that? I would say I had a lot of great friendships and sense of community in undergrad um, among my, yeah, among my roommates. I would say that when, um, yeah, when I say that it looked like people were on paths that were different from mine, that was never, it never gave me a sense of isolation necessary, necessarily. Um, maybe a little bit in my like academic life feeling a bit um, maybe lost at times because I wasn't totally sure on what direction I wanted to go in. But I think, yeah, socially, um, I don't, undergrad is a mixed bag for everybody, I'm sure. But I think that, yeah, I made the most out of that experience that I could. And I came away from it with great friendships and, and great mentor relationships. So, yeah, I would say overall, it was a positive experience for me. Right. So when you just to transition to like, your post back and moving to Colorado, um, you know, what made you want to do a post back in the first place? Sure. After I graduated college, um, I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do. I actually was planning to spend some time at a monastery um, because during undergrad, I had taken a summer to live at a Buddhist monastery in China and was really looking forward to going back to monastic life and doing kind of like an intense Buddhist um, philosophical study. At a, there's a nunnery in India um, where like women from all around the world kind of come to live and study together in this monastic setting. And so I was really interested in doing that um, as kind of a next step in order to then figure out where like vocationally I saw myself. And I was kind of going between a couple different ideas. I was thinking about potentially going to social work, um, which felt like very human, but it didn't feel, it didn't feel scientific enough. 
um, for me. I felt like I would miss that kind of like analytical scientific thinking, like that rigor, if I went into down that path. At the same time, I was also considering going into like data science, becoming a data analyst at some sort of maybe research group that was doing like policy research, like global health. I'd kind of looked into some stuff around that. And yeah, I was still just feeling pretty unsure when I graduated. And then soon after I ended up having my own like medical crisis and for the first time really had to kind of start to reconcile my own like health and the functioning of my body and the way that impacted my my like world perspective and it was something that really like it was a very intense experience for me like life-changing this is like a pivotal point in my life and it was through that experience that I started to see medicine as this place that can exist as the intersection of like spirituality and science um which was the like my scientific understanding of like my illness um you know, was impacting the ways that I felt about myself and my mortality and my, like, um, sense of being. And so as I kind of delved into, like, books about this topic and read things like, um, I think it being mortal, that's whole Gawande book, um, which is, you know, a, a classic, a pre-med classic. But yeah, read a lot of books that kind of showed me where uh, medicine can exist at this intersection. And so then, I wanted to start volunteering in the healthcare space and got an incredible volunteer position working as a chaplain at my local hospital during COVID in my hometown. Um, and so received training as a chaplain and then got to do that for several months um, in addition to kind of shadowing and talking with some physicians in my area. And then I think that reflection over the course of that year and a half is what led me to do my post program and decide that I, I wanted to get on this path. Wow, that's that's so that's awesome, and I think I thank you so much, Arizona, for talking about this idea of um, of exploration. Right, I think this 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 is something that Kate and I in our pre med culture community is really trying to to further um, expand upon. Right, this idea of pursuing what you're passionate about, and the story will develop. Your story will develop in that, and so could you even talk even a little bit more about this idea of being a hospital chaplain, right? Um, but like specific being a hospital chaplain during a pandemic right um and how what got you into that right and, and how did you go about even engaging in in that opportunity and what how did you sort of um sort of the logistics of getting involved in that um volunteer opportunity then even what are some lessons right and some things that, that you took away some stories that have been really moving and and then lastly like, how do you think again how's that contributed to your desire to continue to pursue medicine I ended up working as a chaplain um, kind of out of, I guess, a mixture of me seeking it and it finding me, which is to say that I went to the hospital and was looking for volunteer positions. Um, and when I was there, they were kind of asking about what my interests were. And I mentioned that palliative care was something that I was thinking about. And the volunteer coordinator asked me if I would be interested in chaplaincy, which I didn't know would even be an option. Um, and then she connected me with the hospital chaplain. and. Basically, most of their volunteer chaplains are all retired pastors from the area. And so they were all vulnerable populations and had stopped volunteering at the hospital because they didn't want to be exposed to COVID, which was, you know, a great decision and very reasonable. And so um, I, you know, was not vulnerable. Um, and so Joanna, who is my chaplaincy mentor, kind of took me in and just trained me to work under her. And so I was one of 
maybe one of two volunteer chaplains at the time. And so I mostly would come in and make like day visits um, whenever I had time. And then otherwise I would usually be on call at night. And so I would go into the ICU or the ER or different parts of the hospital where usually there's a patient who had suffered like a traumatic injury and I was there waiting with the families or sometimes it was a patient who had been in the hospital for weeks and um, was supposed to pass away soon and, and the family wanted to have a chaplain there. And so that was kind of what the like ins and outs of that job looked like. And in terms of things that I learned or took away with me from chaplaincy, one thing that really sticks out in my mind was a moment I had with Joanna, my mentor, where I had been in the ER the night before with um, the family of a patient who he had suffered a traumatic injury. And then I was there with his mother and her sister. And, um, you know, as a chaplain, you aren't trained to provide medical care. You're trained to provide spiritual care. And oftentimes what that would look like was just sitting with a patient's families or offering prayer to them or getting them ice chips or whatever it is, these small things. And the next day I was talking with Joanna and I was telling her, you know, Joanna, I just wish that there was some way for me to know if I actually helped. Um, like I wish there's some measurement of performance in this job. And Joanna said, Arizona chaplaincy isn't about performance. It's about presence. Um, and yeah, that just really set the tone for me, I think, for the rest of chaplaincy, um, which was, you know, that this job was not about me. This job was about the the patients and the families who I was with and whether or not I felt that I like did a good job or offered something or could measure my job performance was kind of irrelevant because at the end of the day, you just have to kind of trust that having like a loving, less anxious presence there, um, you know, who is at least like skillful in what they're doing. Um, you need a little bit more, I guess, than just sitting, but having somebody there at the end of the day is the thing that, that counts. And so I think that's something that I think about a lot in the ways that I want to practice medicine, which is that um, I'm drawn to fields of medicine where their patients are facing terminal illness or other like large, difficult life events, um, maybe chronic pain, something like that. And realizing that as a physician, you're not always going to be able to solve the problem. And so having to be able to be okay with just being present and knowing that that in itself is doing something and cultivating that sense of, of presence is just as much a part of the job as like understanding how metabolism works. And so that's, that's the way I think chaplaincy has impacted the way I want to practice medicine. That's awesome. Thank you so much for, for saying that. I think it's just so impactful. And I, and I hope our, our listeners, right. And even, even myself, right. This idea of go into something, right. And that you're, that you feel you're called to, or, or an opportunity that you, that you feel that doesn't connect to and watch how um, you're changed just as much as you're changing the people that you're serving. So that's awesome. And thank you for that. And, and even so now, as Kate sort of alluded to before, right? So you, you figured out that, hey, I'm interested in medicine. Um, it's the end of undergrad. Uh, I, I think I really want to explore just briefly this idea of you talked about that you went to China for a year, right? So this international, um, Arizona's exploration goes international, right? <laughs> if that's going to be like <laughs> the, the title of it, right? Uh, like Emily in Paris V2. Uh, but like, so what was that like in in and what did you what did you gain from your experience um, in China? And 
would your encouragement to be to people who who may want to go to a, another country um, and ex- sort of explore themselves in that? I went to China um, for I think I was there for about eight months after my sophomore year of college. So I split like kind of the first half and the second half of undergrad. And um, well, the reason I went is that first I'd started studying Mandarin um, during my sophomore year at Yale, which was something that, yeah, it was just really interesting to me. I'd already, I um, had spent the summer before, the summer after my uh, first year of school in Nicaragua um, after having studied Spanish for a very long time. And so I had loved living abroad um, and there's a lot of support um, through Yale, through fellowships and things like that, that kind of helped me with being able to do that. And so, yeah, I knew that I wanted to go spend time in a new place again. Um, And so also knew that I wanted to explore learning a new language. And so I started studying Mandarin and decided to apply for a fellowship, which pays for you to go live and study Mandarin. in China for up to, I think up to a year in total. Um, it might even be more than that, but I decided to go for a summer semester and a fall semester. And so I was in Beijing for two months um, studying. And then I took a little over a month and traveled out to Western China just by myself, took a bunch of buses and trains and kind of made a big loop um, throughout the West. And then came back and studied in Harbin for the fall semester, which is a city in like the northeast most corner of China. Um, It's kind of like wedged right between Russia and North Korea, basically, which is freezing cold. It's known as the ice city. Um, They have a huge ice festival where they build these like castles out of ice, which is what they're famous for. But yeah, I um, think I was motivated to do that just because yeah, I'd kind of gotten a taste for traveling on my own the previous year and realized it was something that I that I loved. Um, I loved that sense of adventure and meeting people um, in a totally different place and different culture and connecting with them in their own language, which just feels so different from, I don't know, in the U.S. kind of expecting somebody to like meet you on your terms. And so being forced to go out somewhere else and meet people on their own terms was, it was exciting. And it kind of teaches you how to be like resilient and independent and um, like flexible a lot, because when you're traveling, there's constantly things happening that you couldn't have expected. And yeah, I just, I really enjoyed that. And I also, in terms of learning Mandarin, I just felt like it was such a powerful thing to be able to communicate with like another 1 billion people who I wouldn't have been able to talk to previously before that. Um, And so those are the things I think that really motivated that time for me. And in terms of recommending it to other people, um, I honestly, one of the ways I feel is that everybody should have to travel by themselves at some point. And it doesn't matter where you're doing that. It doesn't have to be in a foreign country. It doesn't, um, excuse me, it doesn't have to be for months at a time. Like it could be a week, just like take a road trip to a place you've never been before try to get around um, because I think that when you're by yourself and you're having to like make all of these logistical decisions, you, you gain a lot of self-confidence and you see like what you're capable of. Um, It's a way of like experiencing risk and exploring that um, in a way that I think is like super powerful for people. And so I would, I, I totally recommend that everybody take a chance to try to do that at some point. Uh, that's awesome, and, and thank you so much for that. Right, I think that that goes back to uh, something that Kate take, Kate talked about in one of our previous episodes. Right, this idea of a step into the uncomfortable and discover yourself. Right, and and even uh, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a fan of New Year's resolutions. I'm more of a fan of like New Year's mantras. Right, and 
in this idea of familiarity robs us of wonder, right? When you when you're in the same routine, you're doing the same thing, you lose the you lose the pizzazz, right? So I, I would encourage our listeners, and I'm going to encourage myself, right, um, this year, right? Like, how can we step into new things? How can we challenge ourselves to discover new aspects of of who we are as people? And and so in the sort of these last couple moments, Arizona, right? I'd, I'd love just for you to sort of when you're looking at for people from our listeners who are interested in in looking at a post bag, right? What were some of like the sort of the concrete things that you were specifically looking for um, when you were choosing your post back at Boulder, right? And, and would you, what would sort of your encouragement be to people who um, are considering um, taking a, getting, doing a post back or for those who say, hey, do I need to do a post back? What's your sort of um, perspective on that? Yeah, for me, a post back felt necessary just because I hadn't taken any of the prerequisites for medical school. Um, and so in doing that, um, I just needed to get all of those classes done. So for one, I guess in one way, it was just a very practical thing. And then after that, the things that I was looking for in the postback were that I wanted it to be a one-year program. I didn't want it to take place over the course of a couple of years, just because I think I was ready to get the show on the road when it came to going down this path to med school. And so that felt like something that was important to me, the timeline. And then beyond that, the thing that I think felt most important was that I felt really supported um, through the process because it was something that was going to be so unfamiliar, unfamiliar for me. Um, and so having an advisor and an advisement team that I felt really confident about and I felt who really cared about me. And um, I mean, I'll just brag on the Colorado Post back right now because I think that their advising team is just phenomenal. Um, like I remember I interviewed for several different postbacks and I'd gotten into a few of them. And the one um, at Colorado, I remember during the interview, their advising team just being like so gracious and warm and welcoming and in a way that I don't know, I feel like a lot of other a lot of other places when you're interviewing, it, the tone of the interview is often like, all right, like we have something you want. Like now tell us why we should give it to you. Um, but for Colorado, it felt like they were saying, we want to hear about the journey that you're on and how we could like keep going down this path together, um, whether or not like we're a good fit for each other. And it just felt like such a, yeah, it just felt like such a generous and welcoming way of like holding that conversation, um, such that, I don't know, I mean, anyone considering a postback probably is looking like at all the rankings online and student doctor network, et cetera. And you'll notice the University of Colorado really isn't on any of those lists. Um, like I didn't even know that they had a postback program until I was applying and saw that it was an option to send an application there. Um, but I think that they just have a phenomenal program and talking to them about it, they've, it sounds like something they really prioritize is like bringing in postbacks who want to become physicians for like a reason that is very compassionate. Um, and so because of that, they kind of create a cohort of people who I think are really, like really deeply compassionate people. Um, and that's just been, yeah, that was something that was really important to me also was knowing that, yeah, knowing that my cohort was going to be a group of people who I could connect with and feel supported by and who I could in turn um, support myself. And so that was something that also was very true about this program. That's awesome. And, and thank you so much for that. And so even to sort of wrap this all up, right, this idea of of what are some of your words of encouragement, right? You talked about, I think we've talked about a lot about exploration. Um, we've talked a lot about 
um, pursuing what you're passionate about, right? And, and pushing, moving into the uncomfortable. And that's sort of, um, sort of your, your story in that. Um, what would be sort of your encouragement to, to people right now? Because you, like, like you sort of talked about at the beginning, um, you, you're, you've done the primary app, you've taken the MCAT, you, you've done the secondaries, all those things. So I think that's such a timely thing. I know, I think that Kate and I have so many friends, so many people in our community, so many of our listeners right now who are sort of stepping into this, to this um, cycle right now at the beginning of 2023, getting ready for the upcoming cycle. Based off of where you're at now, what is some encouragement that you would have to our listeners? What is some encouragement that you wish you had known then that you know now? Yeah, I think that maybe the advice would just be that, like, I don't know. You you can do it. You really can. Like, it's going to feel really, really hard at points. Like, I remember studying for the MCAT. Um, we only had seven weeks to do so because of the way that the our postback was timed you know, spending all day, every day studying for those seven weeks. Like at times I just genuinely wanted to give up. Like it is, it is so tough to cram that amount of information in your head. Um, But just know that like you really can do it and your work really is going to pay off. Um, And so, yeah, just like have that faith, you know, have that faith that if you're willing to put in the work, then the world is going to respond to that in turn. Um, And this opportunity will open up for you. And so just like, keep your head down, keep pushing and like, keep your keep your eye on the prize on the goal, which is, um, yeah, which is going down this path. And I think the other thing I would say the other advice I have um, is just to be able to really explicitly explain why you want to do this and you don't have to be able to explain that to anybody else I mean it's helpful obviously for being able to write an application essay but I think it's more helpful to do that to yourself because at times when it's really tough I remember questioning like why am I doing this like do I really want to do this this is so much work and so much stress for what and just being able to very clearly explain why you want this and what it is that you want I think is really critical for those moments um, and not getting thrown off the path. I love that. I think like having the eye on the prize is like easy, so much easier said than done, but like knowing why you want to do this. And like you said, like having that faith that it sucks and it's going to suck sometimes, but that's life. And that's anything you decide to do. If it's hard it might be it might be worth it but if you don't know why you're working so hard it's going to be really difficult to keep that stamina up so it's wonderful advice i mean i was like write that down write that down like i can do this i'm i'm strong enough i'm smart enough i like i deserve this like very very powerful information and i just want to say thank you for not just being on this podcast but for you know wanting to do medicine i think that your perspective and your life journey and you know, everything that you've talked about so effortlessly to me makes me want you in the world of medicine and being able to heal people and help people. And like you said, meet people where they are and have people meet you where you are. Like, it's so wonderful to know that there's going to be someone like you in the medical field and helping people. So thank you from me. Thank you from Chuka, from all of our listeners and from everyone that has been in your life that you've touched and have touched you. Like, thank you so much. I'm so so thankful and well thank you i mean that is incredible
incredibly kind. Um, yeah, and likewise, likewise, I'm so excited to be meeting other future physicians like yourselves. Hey, thank you so much again, Arizona. And we like to always give our our guests an opportunity to plug any any social media they have, if you if you want to, or anything that you feel that the pre med community um, should be aware about, any movements, organizations that you're passionate about. We'll give you a quick 20 seconds to plug whatever you want to plug. Oh, my goodness. Um, well, my social media presence is, is dreadful, so I won't plug that. Um, but I guess I will say that, um, yeah, if there's anyone who is listening and who decides that they want to get in touch with me for any reason, that um, I'll give Juka my contact information and however they decide to um, to share that, I'm happy with. And so... Yeah, anyone who's going down this path, I really, really love to talk to people about it and to help them think through these things. And so, um, yeah, would love to connect with anyone else who feels like they're thinking about similar things or who are trying to navigate this on their own. All righty. Well, ladies and gentlemen, listeners all around, uh, thank you all again for joining us on this episode of Pre-Med Uncultured. Keep up the hustle. Like the words of Arizona said, you can keep doing it. I am the prize. We'll see you on the next episode. Thank you.